Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up, and let's get started on today's podcast. Today's episode on self-care, burnout, and mental health for parents is with Ashley Wells, who is a registered psychologist, the founder of Wells Psychology, a qualified perinatal and infant mental health clinician, a circle of security parenting facilitator, and a mother of two young toddlers. Ashley works in a women's health clinic and has a passion for supporting women with the unique set of mental health challenges they may face. Ashley offers a space for women to safely share their experiences without judgment. You can find out more on Ashley's website, which is wellpsychology.com.au. You can send her an email about booking in for a consultation. The email is admin at wellpsychology.com.au and her Instagram is at wells underscore psychology, which is W-E-L-L-S underscore psychology. Now let's dive into today's episode with Ashley. Today's episode is monitored by Garmin. If you're sick of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, Garmin gives you up to 11 days of battery life on a single charge. So if you want a smartwatch that stays on your wrist and not on your charger, head to garmin.com.au to find out more and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now here's our podcast. Welcome, Ashley, to the Leanne Ward Nutrition Podcast today. We're very excited to have you on. Thank you, Leanne, for having me. Now, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and how you came to become a psychologist in your specialty area? Yeah, absolutely. So, as you just mentioned, I am a psychologist. I um, actually operate a perinatal and women's health psychology-focused practice. Um, I'm a mum. I have a one-year-old and a two-year-old, so I'm incredibly busy and juggling a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I absolutely love working in the perinatal space and and focusing on women's health. Um, I think a lot of women who work in the perinatal space or clinicians that work in the perinatal space often are, are driven into that direction based off their own experiences and that was certainly the case for myself. Um, Being a psychologist at the time when I had my first bub, I was working in private practice a lot with children and families. So I think I was a little bit um, naive and and believed, oh, having a baby will be a breeze. There will be, (laughs) I'll be completely prepared for everything. Um, And I was very much jolted into reality when I became pregnant and then obviously had had her. Um, And so I I found, yeah, the experience of transitioning into motherhood really confronting. I felt really overwhelmed. I was debilitatingly exhausted, <laughs> like a lot of new parents are. Um, and so I just, I really was struggling and, and wasn't really quite sure where to seek help and who to um, talk to. It was quite a confronting experience because um, even when I was talking to my GPs or, you know, having check-ins about my bub, I felt often quite dismissed about the experience that I was having, um, you know, often labelled as being a first-time mum or having, you know, first-time mum worries and and I wasn't really able to access the appropriate mental health support that I needed at that time. 
So fast forward three years almost, um, uh, and after my second bub, I really um, focused in on that um, process of matrescence, um, you know, supporting women through that antenatal and postnatal um, period, um, you know, just giving women the tools and support and resources that they might, you know, need at the time of, of starting a family. So it's kind of the main drive and passion for me now. Um yeah, going into that private practice space is, is a real passion of mine. I love that. And what a, I guess, rewarding area to work in as well, because you yourself have been down that path. But we also know that so many other mums and dads also struggle with a lot of issues from a mental health perspective that might not be, you know, diagnosed um, perinatal, uh, postnatal depression or anything like that. And so I think a lot of DPs, as you say, can go, oh, no, you're okay. It's just normal. It's first time mum or first time dad kind of feelings. But you just sort of know in yourself, this isn't normal for me or I have so much anxiety or so much worry or I feel like I'm not sleeping because I'm just laying awake staring at my baby all night being like, are you breathing? Exactly. So it is nice to have an outlet to go to and someone to, to talk these things through with. Yeah, and I think my job is to really normalise that experience for a lot of um, parents as well to sort of give them um, a safe place where they can openly discuss that experience, openly, you know, talk about those types of intrusive thoughts or those beliefs or those worries without feeling like no one's going to understand it, no one's going to get it. Um, I've been there, I've lived it with, you know, I'm still going through, you know, juggling my two little ones as well. But I guess also as from a clinician's perspective, it's my job to know the data, know the research, know the evidence-based tools that are going to actually support women through you know, the other side of that so that they don't feel like they're alone or that they're going crazy or that no one's listening to them. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And you mentioned a couple of my favourite words, data, research, evidence-based. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let our listeners know the difference between a practising psychologist and other types of, we're going to call them therapists online, because you see them a lot, particularly through Instagram and social media, everybody's sort of a therapist these days. But what would, if somebody listening at home would like to go and see and link in with a, a true professional, what are we looking for? Are we looking for that term practicing psychologist? Well, I guess the thing is with the therapist and, and psychologist, the terms are somewhat used interchangeably, mm -hmm. um, which can be quite confusing if you're not quite sure um, of what the difference might be. So look, both therapists and psychologists perform talk therapy. Um, you know, they help with the management of mental health conditions. Um, they might be able to provide um, tools and resources that are going to, um, you know, improve a person's overall mental health. Um, you know, our jobs are to address those problems in a positive way. So we're, we're clarifying issues, we're exploring different options, we're developing strategies and increasing their self-awareness. The term therapist obviously is, is quite a broad terminology and it can cover several different types, I suppose, of mental health professionals. So their qualifications may vary um, and that title itself is not particularly a protected title. Mm -hmm. So the difference is the, the psychologist is a mental health professional. They've undertaken a minimum six years of combined university study as well as applied um, workplace supervision. So their roles um, are a protected title. Um, you know that they will be registered through the Psychology Board of Australia and they're listed with the Australian Health Practitioners um, Regulation Agency. Um, in addition to the talk therapy, their role is to also conduct assessments if it's deemed necessary, necessary and then also to provide um, a diagnosis as well if that's needed. 
So if somebody sort of terms themselves a psychologist, does that automatically mean that they are a registered psychologist? Like is the term psychologist itself the protected title? Absolutely. Yeah. So okay. we can't we can't call ourselves a psychologist unless we have that registration and have gone through the minimal competencies and the requirements to maintain that title. Okay, amazing. That's really good to know. All right. Now, speaking about this very important area um, that you're mentioning that you got into because of your own struggles, but also we know so many parents struggle with it as well. So it's that perinatal mental health area. Why is this such an important area for us to be aware of and for us to sort of seek help in if we need to? Absolutely. So I I try to refer to um, the scope of work as the perinatal and infant mental health, because I think it's really important to acknowledge that it is a relationship uh, that women are going through in, in those early postpartum stages. It's the relationship between themselves, their partner, and the infant. Uh, when we're looking at perinatal, it is encompassing the antenatal period as well as the postnatal period combined. Um, but it is important to recognise that the perinatal and infant mental health is, is really paramount. Um, so what we're looking at is the emotional health. We're looking at the attachment. We're looking at the development of that relationship between the parent um, and the child. Of course, if there are any sort of underlying mental health struggles or any uh, mental health um, uh, diagnoses, then obviously then that puts them at a little bit more of a higher risk of having those comorbid um, symptoms present themselves in that postpartum um, time. So we know that if there are pre-existing mental illness, um, it's more likely then that they can develop quickly um, in that postpartum um, period of their time or period of their life. Um, And we certainly know that they may be more likely to also develop mental illness in that postpartum period as well, even if there wasn't an underlying um, or previous history of of a mental illness. Look, it's such a transitional life stage for a lot of parents. Um, it's often associated with increased vulnerability to obviously experiencing stress and, we, you know, add in things like fatigue and, um, you know, there could be lack of um, support systems around them. Um, potentially, you know, they might have some um, uh, low self-esteem. It could be, you know, maybe an unwanted pregnancy that could contribute to how they're feeling as well. Um, so we certainly know that, yeah, there's an increase or higher risk of um, depression, you know, stress in that postpartum um, period. Mm. And does hormones come into play as well there or is it mostly just due to the lack of sleep and the general overwhelm? (laughs) No, look, absolutely hormones. We know that there's a lot of neural um, inflammation that occurs in the postpartum period for women as well. Sometimes there can be some fluctuations in their thyroid um, that's not being regulated. Depending on the, the type of birth or labour that the women's experienced as well, if there's been any sort of hemorrhaging or if there's been um, quite a traumatic birth, we certainly know that the depletion that the body experiences can also contribute to mental Ill, mental health or mental struggles as well. So if they've had quite a significant amount of blood loss, we know that they're going to be depleted in, you know, clearly iron stores and, you know, vitamin, um, you know, B, we know that it impacts on, um, you know, mood and, and ability to recover as well. So there's a lot of physiological um, tra- transitions and changes that that the woman's body is going through. Not all, not every woman chooses to breastfeed, but if they do choose to or can um, breastfeed their babe bubs, that also causes some depletion in their body as well. So there's absolutely uh, a, a combination of different um, uh, things that can contribute to how they're feeling, not just from sleep deprivation, lack of support, but certainly just from a physical, social perspective. 
Yeah. And it's like, it's often not talked about enough, is it? You know, everybody cares about the bub at the six week checkup like they should. But I don't think, I think someone just said to me, maybe a doctor or GP, how are you feeling? And I went, yeah, I'm doing okay. And that was the only question I got asked. Everything else was about bub. And, you know, so it should be. But also, I think there just needs to be a little bit more questions or support available for parents as well. Um, Because, you know, everyone talks about the labor and how to have a healthy, you know, pregnancy and healthy labor and how to deliver a healthy baby but what about how to be healthily you know healthy in your body and in your mind yeah. in that postpartum period as well because as you said it's a huge transitional life stage which has just compounding effects from you know mental health side of things but also the physical health side of things as well oh a hundred percent and i couldn't agree more when i meet a new mum who's particularly in those early stages of postpartum or even up to one or two years after they've had their bub it's really important for me to know what was pregnant like for them were there any uh, physical conditions that they might have experienced what was the birthing experience like for them how did bub enter into the world what was their recovery like what sort of blood tests have they done have they seen a naturopath lately are they getting any exercise are they taking any medications what's their diet look like their water input so there's a lot of different things even myself as a psychologist I'm not just looking for you know signs and symptoms or characteristics of mental illness I'm also trying to assess holistically the woman and what does that look like for them and and what has their body and mind experienced in the last you know one to two years after having a baby all that information is incredibly helpful Um, and and getting that data can be a really helpful resource for me to piece everything together and to know how to best support them and put the most appropriate treatment plan in place sometimes that might mean I would put recommendations in and and sort of write back to the GP we might say look we really need to get a referral to get some pathologies done we might need to look at looking um, you know getting a naturopath involved could be some physio if the woman's still experiencing pain we know that pain obviously contributes to you know stress and fatigue as well so it is really important that we're looking at women's care holistically um, and, and taking into account the entire experience yeah absolutely and now speaking I guess more about just that general anxiety for parents because I think that that's something in my experience most parents experience in terms of just generalized anxiety mm. is there research to show that it increases after we have babies and kids or is it again just something in the short term where it's that transition to becoming new parents or is it something that is ongoing once you've got a got a kid you're always a little bit worried about them for whatever reason yeah look I definitely want to just normalize it I think that once we have bubs I think it is quite a normal um, mindset to have that we're anticipating is there anything that could happen to my little family right now Um, at the same time though we want to uh, we want to assess and and address what the intensity of those types of thoughts and those that type of thinking certainly if it gets to the stage where it's really quite debilitating um, for for the parent if um, you know the frequency is occurring you know you know quite a lot throughout the day and it's really impeding on their ability to function um, and perform, you know, their, their regular daily activities, self-care, care for the child. Obviously, then we're looking at, um, you know, an anxiety disorder that um, probably needs some extra treatment or extra support. I guess also just noting that, you know, the baby blues is often a common thing that's discussed in that postpartum period. Um, so it's not not uncommon, you know, up to about 80% of um, women will experience, you know, the, the quote-unquote baby blues for, you know, somewhere between three to 10 days after giving birth. Um, but we certainly know that anything beyond that, again, if it's becoming quite debilitating, if it's causing things like panic symptoms, um, it's it's impeding on their ability to leave the house, um, they're constantly checking things, um, it might be an, an indication then that there may be some anxiety that's quite substantial. Um, we do know that quite a lot of um, 
parents, um, not just women, but men as well, will experience postnatal anxiety and depression. They often go hand in hand. About 50% of um, families will report um, having the comorbid or, or the dual diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we do know that at least one in five mums and up to one in 10 new dads will experience that postnatal anxiety and depression as well. Um, so it is important to understand the intensity um, of those symptoms, the frequency of those symptoms and the type of symptoms that, that families are experiencing. And of course, if it's starting to um, uh, interfere with their ability to function, they might need some extra support. I definitely wouldn't say that it needs to be lifelong. There are most definitely some some strategies that we can put in place, some plans, some treatment plans, but certainly understanding the, the uh, I guess, the factors that are contributing to those intrusive thoughts, you know, the behavioural responses to some of that thinking um, can alleviate or at least reduce, um, you know, the ability um, of those things impacting on their life. Mm. And certainly there's always, you know, a time and a place for medications, but I know a lot of new parents don't want to go straight down that route. Um, And so what you do as a psychologist is very much, you know, non-medication based, isn't it? It's a lot of different types of therapies and tools that you can use very practically within your own day-to-day life, isn't it? Yeah, most definitely. So as a psychologist, it is our job to understand the, the, I guess, the evidence-based treatments. And sometimes that can include medication treatment options. It's not within our scope to obviously prescribe that medication, but we could provide recommendations back to either the treating psychiatrist or their general practitioner, whoever's um, looking after their treatment or their care. Um, We do find that sometimes women will come off certain types of medications during their pregnancy, which then can exacerbate any underlying conditions that they may have had previously. So it does put them at a bit of a higher risk for having a reoccurrence of some of those symptoms, particularly in the postpartum then. And it is really paramount that we have um, a team in place that's making sure that um, not just from a physical perspective, but how is their mental health being treated? Um, so although I can give recommendations or I can give suggestions or, um, you know, write back and, and, and include the psychiatrist and the GP, um, it's not within my scope to, to prescribe that. What is within my scope, however, is to look at the evidence-based treatments um, from a psychologist's perspective. So that might be looking at different um, cognitive tools, behavioural tools. Um, we might be able to put some mindfulness strategies in place. We might be able to um, look at motivation. We can look at self-compassion. Uh, we can look at, you know, even just values exploration, um, attachment between them and uh, between the parent and the new bub, um, and also exploring their own experiences of being parented. I often find can um, bring up or resurface maybe some um, childhood trauma or childhood adversities um, that they kind of didn't really think would still be a problem, you know, in their adult life. Um, But then when they transition into becoming a parent or when their bub has arrived, all of a sudden, you know, these feelings or thoughts or experiences that, you know, seemingly weren't maybe causing any, any struggles or any difficulties before now are resurfaced. And so my job is to also, I guess, rewind and understand the person's history and and what kind of things might be factoring into how they're feeling about their transition into parenthood. Mm -hmm. And what would you say from your experience is a good, I guess, time or a few red flags to really go, all right, I think that I'm not handling this so well myself. I think that I do need to reach out to whether it's my doctor or my, you know, a psychologist and book an appointment because I really do feel like I'm struggling. Like you mentioned when it's impacting on the quality of your life. So perhaps you're really struggling to go to work each day because that anxiety is so real. You actually can't leave your bub with a family member or into daycare or something like that. So what are some of your common, I guess, um, more like red flags or what are the common things you would 
say to people, this is when we really need to sort of have a chat or this is where we can really help you if you're experiencing, you know, X, Y, or Z? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess every individual um, uh, postpartum experience is, is obviously unique. Um, so it re- a lot of that can also depend on um, how they were presenting maybe before they had a bub, um, if there were any sort of, uh, I guess, behaviours or, or risks that were um, uh, present prior to having a bub. So again, it is individual. Um, but I guess generally what I would say to a lot of um, families is to have somebody on in your team, um, a support person, it doesn't have to actually be a partner, although that, that's probably helpful because they're more likely going to be around you most of the time and seeing what you're like day in and, and, and night. Um, but if there are any friends that are checking in on you, if there are you know, family members that are able to check in on you, I guess what it would be is are there any noticeable real shifts in, um, you know, I guess your personality or your characteristics? So if a person um, starts to become really quite um, shut down, they're no longer engaging much in conversations. They're talking about being really quite afraid um, or having types of, um, you know, really quite intrusive or violent types of thoughts. Obviously, they're really big warning signs and red flags that we need to get some professional support involved. Um I guess sometimes it's also around what the person's physically doing. So if a person's never able to get out of bed, they're never able to leave the house, they're, um, you know, hopefully caring for the bub, but sometimes not. Um, We're looking at also their basic needs and their basic level of self-care. So um, it is really just around getting up, getting dressed, movement, you know, are they eating, are they drinking any water? Um, A really big warning sign can be... um, the, the amount or quality of sleep. And I know that's a really touchy subject with babies, um, women who have, you know, new babies. Um, however, if we're going days without sleeping, that's a huge red flag as well. So sometimes it's around what they're physically doing. Sometimes it's around what they're verbalizing. Um, sometimes it's around noticing this person's characteristics are really different to how they were maybe two weeks ago, a month ago, six months ago, um, and really putting in, um, yeah, some supports in place. So I think that's important because we don't want to put the emphasis on the the women to always know, you know, when you're in the rush and you're in, you know, you're amongst the cloudiness of, of um, you know, postpartum, it's really hard to look outside of that and, and notice really that there is any changes, particularly when they're in maybe a survival kind of state. And so what I would say is it is important to have those external um, supports again, whether it's a partner or a family or a friend checking in, making sure um, that they're also monitoring and just noticing how you're coping as well. Yeah, I think it's so important, isn't it? Because I never really thought about it from that perspective, but it's often our friends and family who would recognize something else, I guess, quote unquote, going wrong before we ourselves might see it first. So maybe this is a great podcast to share with loved ones and families and friends and partners because I think that they will be the ones to pick up if something's not quite right earlier than, you know, the the parent going through that really tough transitional stage to begin with. Yeah, look, most definitely. And I, I would say, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out and look for resources. So there's an abundance of amazing um, information, um, fact sheets, um, you know, um, easily accessible um, tools online that uh, family members and friends can, you know, look up, they can research and they can, you know, use those checklists to identify if there's anything going on for that mother. A lot of the time they might have hotlines or um, 
uh, recommendations for um, clinicians to get in contact with as well. So, you know, I would say never be afraid to ask for help, even just to ask the question, is this normal? Is this okay? Is this, or is this a red flag? Um, sometimes I think people just think, oh, it, again, like it'll be okay. They'll be fine. Um, and maybe they will, but maybe they will get there sooner if they have some of that professional support as well. So don't be afraid to find those resources and, and I can make some recommendations of places to look at as well. Yeah, I would love that. Yeah. As you mentioned, like a couple of websites or a couple of the good hotlines that family members or friends can reach out to. And as you said, just ask the question, is this a normal behavior or should I be reaching out to get my loved ones some extra help or some extra support? Of course, of course. So should we put them in the show notes or are you happy to, to give us a couple today off the top of your head? Yeah. Uh, so a couple of the ones that come to my mind is the Centre of Perinatal Excellence. Um, it's known as COPE. Um, so they produce the Australian guidelines for perinatal mental health, which is um, targeted for professionals to make sure that everyone's providing, um, I guess, more of a standardised form of care. Um, but they have an abundance of resources on their website. There's also Gidget Foundation. Um, they have count, um telephone counselling as well, which is really um, helpful and easily accessible. Um, and there's also Panda, which is probably the three main ones that I would recommend. Yeah, wonderful. And um, Beyond Blue, is that one as well that might be helpful? Absolutely. Beyond Blue is a fantastic resource, um, obviously supporting mental mental illness, um, but mm-hmm. looking at ones that are um, specific for perinatal and infant support as well. So that would be the Panda, Gidget um, and Cope would be the yeah. three main perinatal spaces. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's take a quick healthy break and a quick breather. If you have a smartwatch, check your stats. If you had a Garmin, you'd be able to check your health stats for up to 11 days on one charge. It's a smartwatch that spends more time on your wrist and less time on charge. So if you're tired of charging your fitness smartwatch every night, get a Garmin. Wearing your smartwatch for longer could give you a more complete picture of your health. A Garmin can help you manage your stress levels with relaxation reminders and short breathing activities when your watch detects that you're stressed. It can monitor your energy levels throughout the day so you can find the best times for activity and rest. And it also has a hydration tracking tool that allows you to log your daily fluid intake. Now you can do more on a single charge. See which Garmin suits you at garmin.com.au and use my code LEANNE10 on any venue SQ2 for a limited time only. Now, let's get back to our show. All right, so we're going to change track now and talk a little bit more about burnout for parents. Yes. It's a real thing. Absolutely. Uh, And it's often very unspoken or it's almost worn like a badge of honour, like, oh, I'm so burnt out, I'm so busy, I have no time in my day. Can we chat a little bit more about what parental burnout is and I guess what are some of those like unspoken symptoms or some of those things that we just think is normal for busy parents but really can lead to some, you know, kind of awful side effects later on down the track if we don't jump on top of it sooner? Yeah, again, we don't want to normalise burnout and and wear it like it's something to be proud of. It is something that um, can be treated if we can notice some of those signs and symptoms. So when we're looking at burnout, I guess it's something that describes feeling between really stressed um, and also depressed as well. So it's something that's kind of in between those. Essentially, you're in a bit of a survival mode. You're feeling completely worn out and really struggling to enjoy life and enjoy being around your children. 
So I guess some of the key things that I would look out for, um, you know, the physical and emotional exhaustion is a pretty key one. So um, people report feeling extreme fatigue, being really quite overextended with their level of tasks and things that they need to get done, really quite depleted. Um, And so a lot of the time, um, you know, families will report, I just feel so fatigued, I can't take this anymore. We're looking at at their emotional connection with the child as well. So um, it's not uncommon that when when a parent is feeling quite burnt out that they, they're quite detached from their day-to-day life uh, they're kind of going through the motions uh, which means that they're physically there but mentally they're absent and that can make it really difficult for them to enjoy being around their kids showing love showing affection we're looking for signs of feeling incompetent um, so a lot of burnt out parents feel like they're just not doing a good enough job um, or they're not the parent that they think that they should be, or maybe the parent that they used to be, potentially, you know, added stresses later on in their postpartum experiences that contributed to that burnout. So we're looking at, you know, how what's their sense of achievement look like? What does their productivity look like? Or their, um, you know, their level of confidence and, and sense of enjoyment and satisfaction. Sometimes people report physical symptoms so they don't actually know that they're burnt out but they say oh I've got a lot of pain in my neck or I've got this ringing in my ears or I've got a really bad headache that won't go away I feel like I'm going to get a cold or a flu and those symptoms just don't ever feel like they're you know alleviating that's a pretty big um, red flag as well that potentially they might be experiencing burnout um, through the physical symptoms and their proneness to becoming ill um And sometimes it's their mental, yeah, as I sort of said, their mental um, space as well. So sometimes it's that feeling of guilt um, or feeling like they can't talk to anyone about it because that someone's going to judge them or that they're not going to be understood. And I really like how you said we don't want to normalise it because I think it is something that we feel like we almost should be experiencing as parents, but at the same time it's like it's not a nice feeling, like it doesn't make us feel great and what can we do about it? So is this the point where we would want to link in with a professional such as a psychologist or reach out to our support systems and actually ask for help? Because I know I, in the beginning I really felt like I can do it all, I can be a full-time working mum, I can have a little bub, I'm fine. And I think by about week three or four I was like, I need help and I'm going to ask for it, yeah. um, which I think a lot of parents almost feel like they failed if they ask for help. So is that one of, I guess, the easiest ways to combat that burnout is just asking for help? Absolutely. All of the above. Um, there are You will find that there are a lot of people who are willing to give help if we, one, ask for that or to accept it when it's offered as well and so we don't need to say oh no don't bother coming around and doing a lot of washing I'll do it don't bother you know um, dropping off a meal it's fine you know if they're going to offer it just take it accept it because it's probably something that you know you might not have you know six months down the track Um, so if people are offering support absolutely accept that and take that and, and you know enjoy that um, if, however, you're not able to get the people who are, you know, offering that type of support, it might be something that we need to actively seek out ourselves. And so certainly through professional supports, I'd often say checking with the GP is a really good um, starting point. Uh, we know that then we could look at getting some bloods, for example. We can do a review of your medication. Um, we can look at accessing maybe a psychologist or, you know, if there's any other um, health professionals that can be a part of that, that treatment team. As I said earlier, my job is to look at the woman holistically. So when um, a parent comes to me and they're feeling burnt out or they're, they're mentioning some of these key words that I that kind of tick a box in my mind that there may be some um, overall parental burnout or, or what I sometimes refer to as like a postpartum depletion as well, um, that's where we sort of look at 
we can look at diet, nutrition. You know, we might be able to refer through to the to the correct clinicians for that. We might look at seeing a naturopath. We could look at other remedies. Um, but sometimes it's just stripping down. How are we prioritizing tasks? What's our uh, our level of expectation? Right, the to do list will always be there, um, but sometimes those moments of rest will not. And so I think it's really important to reassess what are our priorities and where do we need to actually um, allocate our time as well. Mm-hmm. It's so important because I will say. I'm lucky I've got a great support system around me. So I haven't experienced too much burnout from a parenting perspective, but running my own business and running three companies, I've certainly experienced burnout in my work and what I do. And I always know that when I feel like I've hit burnout, I'm overworked. I've taken on too much. I've said yes to too many things and I haven't prioritized the things that fill my cup up. Like I've skipped exercise in order to take on new clients or I've um, said no to going out with friends and family because I've just got too much work on. So for me, that burnout and that self-care go hand in hand. Do you see that in your in your practice as well, that more parents experience burnout when they're not, I guess, like filling their own cup up as well? Uh, absolutely. So we know that finding time for yourself can be quite a juggle, um, but, you know, your parent self-care is the ability for you to take care of not just yourself but your family as well. So if we're not taking care of ourselves, we're not able to provide for the family the way that we want. I think sometimes burnout is often associated within the employment space. And so when a woman's taking some time off through maternity leave um, and, you know, they're not they're not obviously attending a paid job, uh, it's kind of maybe dismissed as, well, you're, you're at home most of the time, so how could you possibly be so burnt out? But we certainly It's a know, holiday. <laughs> oh, my goodness, the mental load, the physical <laughs> load of having a child, it's just it, it's, it's intense. In fact, probably sometimes more intense than maybe, a, a, you know, a nine-to-five full-time job because <laughs> it's not nine to five and it's full-time like 24 7 so certainly we know that if if the woman is lacking uh yeah just taking a moment for rest they're not engaging with their you know peers that they would normally they're not attending mum's group anymore um they've skipped breakfast every day of the week um you know they've sat down to feed bub and then bub's had a nap and then that that mum hasn't had a drink of water for three hours you know there's all these kinds of things that in isolation you could probably look at and and say well that's not going to cause a long-term detrimental effect but of course, when we add these things together um, consistently, chronically over weeks and months at a time, it absolutely impacts on the woman's how they're feeling, and of course, then their mental health as well. Yeah, it just compounds, doesn't it? It really it kind does. Of like snowballs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So mental health is important. Self care is very important. What do we do if we feel like we literally never have any time for ourselves? Like we might have two kids under two, we might have three, four kids in the household, we might be trying to work, you know, full-time, part-time from home, there's kids running around. What do we do if we feel like we literally never even have a second to go to the bathroom by ourselves? How do we fill our cup up and how do we actually prioritize ourselves as part of this journey as well? Yeah, and, and I think that's a reality for a lot of families that there is quite a lot going on in the household all at once. It's an incredibly busy environment and so it absolutely feels like there is literally no time for self. And so I guess I would look at it from two components. The first one being if there's anything physical that you can do to take a break. I call them micro breaks. Uh, and so when we're looking at taking a break, it's realistically probably not possible that you can have a 30-minute massage or go for a 30-minute walk or, mm-hmm. you know, do, do some yoga for 25 minutes. You might literally not have that, that ability to do that at this stage of your parenting journey. 
And so when we can reframe what a break actually looks like, it might literally be a couple of minutes. This is where those micro breaks can come in. And so sometimes I find that, you know, taking a bit of a moment, sometimes I say to women, you know, place your hand on your chest. What are you feeling? What's your heart telling you? What's your body experiencing? And this can be a really good self-check-in opportunity um, to identify, oh, hold on, my heart's beating a million miles an hour and I'm feeling really tense and why am I feeling so flushed? This is a really clear warning sign that your body's trying to indicate to you that it needs a bit of a moment. And so really taking it, you know, even just a minute, 60 seconds, really, really slowing down our breathing, focusing on, you know, taking those deep breaths, um, you're just bringing ourselves inwards. Again, it's not realistic to expect that kids won't cry or they're not going to be demanding. They're probably still going to be demanding, but can they be demanding and, you know, you still take a 60-second break, right? Um, there'll always be there'll always be something. And so micro breaks can be a really helpful, I guess, reframe on what an idea of a, of a break kind of looks like. The other one I would sort of say for say uh, for looking at that self-care is probably more internal. So it's not around what you're physically doing with your body in, in focusing on those deep, deep breaths, but I think components of self-compassion can be really helpful as well. Um, and so that might be where we're um, taking a moment to show kindness to ourselves that you look around in the environment and it's hard. It's so hard. It's so busy. It's so loud. I've never experienced so much overstimulation before. <laughs> um, and so, like, that's that's okay that you're having this reaction. Let's be kind to yourself. This feeling that you're having right now is not an indication of the type of parent that you are, that the quality of parenting that you're giving. And so I think, you know, really taking a moment to show kindness and compassion to yourself can have a real balanced approach to what those negative emotions or that negative experience might be. Um, part of that self-compassion too is knowing that we share these human experiences, right? We're part of common humanity. Um, it's recognizing that what you're going through is not an isolation. I mean, isolation. You might feel isolated at the time, but the general experience is that a lot of people can understand and share that what you're going through is really, really tough. And so, you know, sometimes when we're feeling anxious or we're feeling depressed, um, it, it's a very easy trap to fall into the idea of no one gets it. No one will possibly understand what I'm going through. I'm the only one who's ever experienced this. And the reality is, is that that's just not true. We share human experiences, positive and negative. And so, you know, having that compassion recognises that it is part of, you know, being human and that it's okay that you're feeling overwhelmed and that you're feeling stressed. And so let's have some kindness towards ourselves. It can be really helpful as well. Yeah, and as you mentioned, that's where those support groups like um, it might be, you know, childcare or it might be a mum's group or it might be, um, I know they do like storytelling at my library um, once a week. So it might yeah. just be those little simple things where it doesn't feel like self-care, but if, you know, you can take your kid to the library and for five minutes they're eating some sultanas and listening to somebody else read, yeah. that's your little mini exactly. moment for the day where you can just go, oh, my goodness, I can just – breathe for a second, put my hand on my heart and check in with myself. A hundred percent, Leanne. And I think there's a lot of emphasis on this idea of a village um, and not everyone has a village. They just simply don't. They don't have the family um, nearby or the capability of their family to give them some support. And so let's recognise the paid support can be so paramount as well. So that might be where the daycare comes in. You might you might feel cap you know, capable and ready and, and if that's a position that your family is able to do, um, the you know bub or toddler might be ready for a daycare experience one day a week or half a day a week or, or what that whatever that might look like for that individual family 
But paid support is still support, right? And so sometimes we don't have the village, so how do we create it? And so, yeah, going to, um, you know, the I think it's called First Five Forever uh, reading groups, you know, as you said, let someone else read the book. Let's let them part of our village, you know, like let's let other people help, you know, um, create this little um, world and family, not just putting all the responsibility on the primary caregiver. Yeah, 100%. And so I'd love to, I guess, finish this podcast, Ashley, by talking about your ultimate self-care checklist Mm. for the busy, burnt out, stressed, overwhelmed parents that are listening in. If there's two or three things that you would recommend, whether it be a daily basis or a couple of times each week, what would be your ultimate self-care checklist to really just help us deal with the emotions and the overwhelm that comes with parenting in day-to-day life. Yeah, absolutely. So I try to break down self-care into three main categories. I look at care for your body. That's a pretty clear one. Get out and about, move around. Care for your mind. We've kind of already touched on that a little bit today. And obviously care for your emotions and your relationships. And so if we're able to just make sure, are we ticking off maybe one of those, you know, categories, I don't know, every couple of days, once a week would be really helpful, a little bit more frequent if possible, but I would say at least set that as a minimum. I think getting outside can be really helpful, getting outdoors. I know I have a one and a two-year-old, but getting out of the house can quite literally be a two-hour task (laughs) before we, you know, get all of our snacks and we get all of our water bottles and we've got the bags packed and everyone's got shoes and everyone's got clothes and nappies. I know And by the time I get out of the house, I'm absolutely exhausted because it's taken me two hours to actually get out. But it gets gets air, gets sunlight, gets the kids moving, you know, changes the environment, shifts our mindset. So I think you don't have to go anywhere particularly special. Sometimes it's just the park around the corner or just, you know, walking down the street can be really helpful, Um, making these real mindfulness experiences. So um, if you've got a little one who's um, noticing their environment, noticing things around them, you might start to introduce things like, let's look for birds, show me the yellow flower, you know, what kinds of things can we notice in our environment? Kids are amazing at living in the moment. And so when we tune into them, it forces us to live in the moment too. And so when we're living in the moment, we're not worrying about the things that we're doing that we've done in the past. We're not feeling guilty and we're not anticipating the future and and worrying about stress in the future. And so I think taking those real mindfulness moments, living in the moment, gives me a really great distraction for all of this other chaos that might be going on around you. So sometimes getting outdoors, I think would probably be my key one. Um, Yeah. What kind of care are we doing for my body? What care are we doing for our mind? And what kind of care are we doing for our emotions and our relationships? Yeah, I love that because I think a lot of people think, okay, mind's important, body's important, but we sort of forget about the relationships. And I've definitely done that where I've gone, I'm too busy today, I can't, I'm too tired to leave the house, so I say no. And then I think, oh, it's been two or three weeks since I've seen my friends or me really hasn't had any other sort of interactions because my bub doesn't go to childcare. I don't go to too many sort of parenting groups because I do work full time and so does my hubby. So often I feel a little bit kind of guilty. So I think that relationship one's a key one and really trying to prioritize that. I think once a week, particularly if you are a little bit more isolated or you you don't have those social supports it is so important to as you say make that a priority and the relationship one is definitely a key one for me and I'm sure a lot of other parents listening are recognizing it as well because it is an easy one to kind of 
fall off, isn't it? When we think Absolutely. about, okay, I've got to eat some good food. I've got to look after my kids every day, but you've also got to have those relationships and interact with other people because that's what really does kind of light up our soul and really provides that support that we need on a regular basis as well. Absolutely. And where are we channeling that energy into, right? And so it's, it is important to make sure that we're um, making time for the right type of relationships, right? So we mm. don't want to be engaging in relationships that are going to draw more energy from you than what they give you. Mm. But certainly if there are, you know, one or two mums that you can connect with and you're on the same page and you're both up at 3 a.m. feeding babies and you understand the sleep deprivation, you get it, right? And so we can go and have these experiences and live in the chaos together and not feel judged or not feel misunderstood can really help us, um, you know, again, with that self-compassion, that common humanity, um, but also building connection, building those relationships. And that is part of self-care as well. Wonderful. Well, Ashley, it's been a pleasure to have you on today. Thank you Can you so let much. our listeners know um, where we can follow you on social media and where you're currently working and if we can book appointments with you? Is it just um, the people in Brisbane? Do you do international at all? Is it online? Is it Do we have to come in and see you physically in clinic? Absolutely. So uh, my business is Wells Psychology. So you can look that up on Facebook, Instagram. It is just Wells Psychology. Um, I also have a website as well where um, you can find more information about myself, um, the key kind of treatment areas or support services that I offer. Um, I Since COVID, I think a lot of people have transitioned into providing telehealth services. So I do provide um, counselling and, and parenting support all over the country. Um, but if you are based in Brisbane, I am based out of the May and Mothers Collective Women's Clinic in Ascot in Brisbane as well. So definitely happy to um, meet you face to face. And, and um, if a lot of women's bring that, women bring their little bubs into the clinic as well. And I've got a little box of toys and we can, you know, enjoy their experience. But also it allows the mums to feel like they can come even if they've still got their little bub with them as well. Yeah, that's really good to know. Thank you so much for having me. I've had an absolute pleasure. Yeah, no worries at all. And I'll put more information about um, you and your clinics and your online uh, presence as well in the show notes if anyone's looking for those as well. Amazing. 